Hello everyone, welcome back to a special episode of Uncanny Treks. It's a double episode where we are talking about four episodes. That's right, four episodes of Star Trek Animation. First we'll lead off with Lower Deck Season 4, Episode 6, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place from the 5th of October of this year. Then we'll talk about Episode 6 of the animated series from the 70s, the filmation Star Trek, Survivor from October 13th, 1973. Then we'll come up to this week's uh, Lower Decks, Few Badgies More, Episode 7 on the 12th of October. And then we will go to the 7th episode of the filmation Trek, Infinite Vulcan, on the 20th of October. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how the hell are you doing tonight? It still blows my mind every time seeing those, Bob, that this is exactly 50 years separated. <laughs> like, yeah, almost to yeah. the day. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, and like at one point, at one point earlier in the coverage, I think it was like literally the same day, 50 years apart. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And we, it really didn't even influence the decision to cover it. It just was a funny coincidence. And, you well, know, it's we also, also a coincidence, Bob, is that these very short tracks are trying to push lower decks and the animated series together like they want yeah. you to watch them both or advertising them together as a thing you know yeah but, which was weird because it was not uh we, we had no idea very short treks was happening at all it was a total surprise we've uh, not talked about a lot of them because they're just kind of gross <laughs> there's not yeah. much to say although i will say to be a real pet at matt it's not a total coincidence because the reason they are doing the very short treks is the 50th anniversary Oh, well, that makes sense, and that makes actually perfect sense. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I guess we should say a little something about the last Very Short Trek, which uh, aired uh, not this week, but the prior week, uh, the week of the episode six of Lower Decks. And I didn't really have any comment on it. There's not much of a story. It's more just like a riff of, like you said, comparing Lower Decks and Filmation Trek. But I was just grateful and amused that it continued to exclude Star Trek Prodigy from its celebration of Star Trek animation. Me too. Thank you for doing that, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. Although, uh, Matt, we uh, we got for the some the great news for you and I, the devastating news that Netflix is picking up Star Trek Prodigy Season 2. Any thoughts on that? So, Bob... Who is watching Prodigy? Like, it's so bad that Netflix... Did the, did did their damn tactic work, Bob? Did their airplane flying by the Netflix offices work? I would tend to say probably not. Because I think... You know, this always was what Paramount was going to try to do. And I do think that... You know, I, I don't think this is the case anymore. But... In the 2010s, Star Trek, and I think especially in The Next Generation, was a huge, huge part of Netflix's business model. And so I think, and I think to the point where there was initially early conversation about Discovery maybe being on Netflix before Paramount decided to launch what was, I think, then CBS All Access. So I, I think that uh, Netflix wouldn't mind being in the Star Trek business again, just like they, you know, did... Aren't they picking up, sorry, <coughs> uh, weren't they trying to pick up the Batman show too for a while there? Like, I think they, they don't mind being in the, in the IP business of other companies. And I also don't think the campaign worked in the sense that the campaign was targeted at Paramount Plus, 
And Paramount Plus isn't picking it up, right? Like nobody nobody would blame Netflix for not picking not picking up Star Trek Prodigy. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, it makes sense, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. But geez, come on, we don't need Prodigy. Make it no, it's away. still disappointing. It's a terrible show. Um, and again, I just want to reemphasize it's it's an awful, disrespectful, amateurishly done show. I don't understand why people pretend to like it. Um, I also would note that it's really funny that. There were no memes. There was no discussion. There was no enthusiasm for the show before it was canceled. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a bad show, people. It's a bad show. I don't get it. The other thing that I did see that somebody pointed out that is an interesting point, and I wanted to run it by you, is that apparently, according to this commenter, um, Netflix has like a good library of like kids animation. And so they think that Star Trek Prodigy would fit in better there with where, where like the algorithm can bounce people between it and those other shows and vice versa. Then it would fit on Paramount Plus where it doesn't seem to have much animation and Prodigy, at, you know, as you and I have noted, sticks out like a sore thumb amongst the Star Trek properties. It really does, but as we, we get into more uh, discussion, not specifically this episode, but the next episode, I feel like Lower Decks is crossing over into a territory where their animation is just not jiving as well with Star Trek. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get into that oh, a little bit in the next episode. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. it's bothering okay. me. Because I, I, at first I thought maybe that Paramount Plus was trying to do its own like spin on Adult Swim or some yeah. weird shit. You know what I mean? Especially with these very short treks. I felt like they were trying to take these properties. Yeah, that, that seems to be the vibe between very short treks and Lower Decks. That, that I'd very much say that seems to be the vibe. Yes, and then they were trying to like sneak in the animated series just to be like, okay, this is like nostalgia funny or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But do you, I don't know, do you think that Prodigy might have a better shot on Netflix where apparently there's other uh, trash computer animation adventure shows for kids? Uh, it's going to end up on their kids' channel and it'll just be yeah, yeah. there. That's all. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I I hope that's what happens. I hope it gets canceled again after season two. That would be very funny. Um, yeah, but ugh, yeah, hell of Star Trek Prodigy. All right, Matt, you ready to talk about the uh, plot of Lower Decks uh, season four, episode six, Parth Ferengi's Heart Place? Sure. All right, Bob. So in this episode, oh, hold on, I have the wrong. Yes, I do have the right one open. There it is. Okay. While Freeman assists negotiations with the Grand Nagus about Ferengar's application to join the Federation, the Fantastic Four have to update the Starfleet travel guide on Ferengar. Well, Matt, I can say I was very happy to see First Clerk Lita. I was not happy to see Grand Nagus Rom. Bob, uh, I was happy to see both of them, and I thought their whole facade as like a professional and adult really served its purpose pretty well in this episode. I thought it was yeah. entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> For uh, people who don't know and haven't listened to our coverage of Babylon 5 and Star Trek DS9, uh, I hate rum. I, I guess this is the episode where I flog all the sacred cows that internet fandom of Star Trek tends to love, which is to say Prodigy and Rom. They both yeah. suck. Uh, but that said, I did have a kind of, and this is skipping down a little, but I did have this question. D on DS9, do you remember if we ever saw Rom like, play an idiot for advantage? I always just thought he was an idiot on DS9. That's the whole thing, Bob. Maybe he's just the ultimate con man the whole time. Yeah, but I don't... Like, he doesn't get a lot of advantage out of being an idiot on DS9. I mean, ultimately, yeah, he does marry Lita and become the Grand Nagus, like, but that doesn't happen until later in the show, and I don't recall it having that much to do with him playing a moron. Yeah, I mean, 
it didn't really end up great. I mean, it, it ended up in the grand scheme of things, it ended up fine for him, but like episode to episode, it did. Yeah, like I don't ever. Again, I might be well forgetting something, so people can feel free to correct me on Twitter. But I, uh, I at Uncanny Tracks people, but I just don't ever remember like Rom playing a moron to get something he wanted on the show. <clears throat> yeah, we'll have to go back and take a look, Bob, because I, I, I really think there's got to be at least a couple episodes where that happens. I, I don't know for sure. Interesting, interesting. Well, hit us up on Twitter. So, uh, Matt, I know people think that restaurant, bar, hotel, and museum reviewer sounds like the best job, but honestly, it doesn't like sound like a good job to me. Bob, you just you probably just don't like to travel much. Uh, no, I do. It's not that. Like, I don't mind going to new places. It's just going to new places with the obligation of having to have a perspective on it and then oh. having to write about it to a bunch of brain morons who read such things, that just doesn't so, sound fun. So what you're essentially saying, Bob, is you don't want to take something that you enjoy, such as traveling, and then turn it into work. Or Star Trek. <laughs> or Star Trek, yeah. that just It just makes it work. I mean, this podcast is work, but it's not that much work. Right, yeah. I mean, we're just talking yeah. about Trek here. But I'm just yeah, saying... If it, yeah. Even it can backfire really quick if you do take something you do enjoy, like travel or looking up things or going to museums, hotels, bars, all that kind of fun stuff, and then making it where you have to review it. Yeah, I guess I would say that I think talking about Star Trek, like, even though there are work aspects of it and some week, like, we just, you know, what is there to say? There doesn't seem to be anything useful to say. But in general, like, intellectualizing it with you and talking it out, like, makes it more pleasurable. Whereas, yeah, whereas, but I guess if we were doing it, I I guess if we were trying, if we were having to like really put a strain on ourselves, then it would be a problem. So I guess there's a fine like medium to where you have to, yeah, yeah, that goes, but also just like I think like bars, hotels, tourism, I don't know, there's not a huge like intellectual aspect to those things like (laughs) does does the drink taste good or does it not? Does the food taste good or does it not? Like. I, I yeah, don't know. It just seems. Is, yeah, it's very touristy. But you got to remember when you're going on vacation, yeah. Bob. You got to dumb it down a little bit. You don't. You're not there to stimulate your brain. You're there to, yeah. to, to relax. Well, there's also like the Karen element to it too. Of like, oh god, that's the didn't worst arrive part. on time. Yeah, yeah. So that's I don't know. I just. Part. It's not the dislike of travel or the dislike of new places. Uh, it's just I just don't really see the point of being a reviewer of those things. Yeah, I think if I had to review anything in that in that whole like category it would be hotels because i mean really it's very like criteria based simple to follow yes i had towels yes yeah there was this yes there was this you know on, like, on a on a certain hand it's the most karen of those things to review but on the other hand it's like the least because it's like pretty clear like okay what would constitute acceptable or good service and you're not being so like subjective and personal about it exactly yes Whereas with food, it's like teaches on. I, I don't know. The food may be good. The food may be bad. Depends on how my taste buds are feeling that day. Yeah, yeah. All right, Matt. So we uh, we have a fact from Ransom. Are you ready to deal with this fact? The fact is, the Cerritos crew is statistically the horniest and least romantically committed crew in the fleet. Yeah, Bob. This is coming from the only Star Trek character I've ever seen naked in Spread Eagle. Was that Ransom? I thought that, that was, was not Ransom. That was Boimler. My bad. Well, Ransom was probably there in that orgy. The fact that I'm yeah, using he, this he sentence, Bob, was. just explains how horny the Cerritos is. <laughs> how, how horny and, not, and non-romantically committed the Cerritos is. Yeah, yeah. I think it would probably make Boimler very happy that in your memory you've substituted Ransom for him. That it would, it would speak to an essential similarity there that he would find oh, encouraging. That's some, uh, some Freud shit, Bob. 
Indeed, indeed, Matt. So I had forgotten that Ferenginar is just Seattle with Vegas-level neon. Yeah, that rain. That's what I remember, because it's, it's so weird that it's, it's just so recognizable to me because they use that same like aesthetic when they showed mm-hmm. it in the episode of... Fam- it was a family business, I think, season three epi- uh, of DS9. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, finally I mean, get to see what it looked like, and you're like, oh, okay, it looks a lot like fucking Seattle. Yeah, really, <laughs> okay. really, mute, really muted green on the outside, really bright gold in the interiors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and rain although, all the time. Yeah, although I will say Seattle rain and Ferenginar rain is a little different. I think I explained this on our family business episode that on in Seattle it's more like a mist and it's constant, but it's not heavy. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, I, to say you know I've been there in the rain before, and I can tell you that that pretty much sums it up. Because you can walk around without an umbrella and you're okay most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You, Seattleites actually don't use umbrellas by and large. You just need a good jacket and you're fine. Yeah. All right, Matt. Do you follow what Mariner means when she says of Ferenginar, it's like what heaven would look like if God were stupid? Okay. So, n- no, not really, but it did sound funny. And I really okay. did laugh at it. <laughs> I think it makes more sense to me as I read it like a week out from the episode, but at the time it was mystifying me a little bit. <laughs> Maybe just the presence of Rom in the episode was making me dumber. Maybe that's what was going on. That could on. be it, Bob. So, Matt, are you going to the Museum of Gambling, the Museum of Haggling, or the Museum of Bribery? Probably we go to the Museum of Haggling, just because that seems like a skill that could help you out. Okay, so you're looking at it as like pedagogy. Okay, yeah, you're, like you're I can learn, learn something from it. Yes. Okay, I'm I'm more looking at it as celebration and stimulating my interest, and I think bribery would be more interesting. But that said, if I learn how to you know do a good bribe, I'm probably not going to because I'm so cheap. But if I do learn <laughs> how to, that would be a, that would be a useful skill in my life. Well, because you're so cheap, you need to go to the museum of haggling with me. That's. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it it would fit my personality uh, more, but uh, bribery would fit my interests more, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I also, it's one of those, I'm also cheap with my time, Matt, and I view haggling as a waste of my time. So I, I don't actually haggle very often. I'm more I'm more apt to just walk away. If like, it's like, no, too, too expensive, not doing it. Not going <laughs> to waste my time arguing. Well, with, at least we both agree that gambling, Bob, that, that's the worst. I don't know. I like to gamble, but not that much, thankfully. Uh, I hate to gamble. I never win, so. <laughs> well, the the way to gamble is to gamble with your friends around, you know, at a poker table. It's not to, yeah, casinos suck. I hate casinos. You mean I shouldn't go to the casino and just keep handing them money? No, no, that's dumb. Uh-oh. But you should either you should either try to try to take money from your friends or people you know who you don't like, or have them take your money. That that adds a, a better quality to it, I would say. Seems like it would be more satisfying, yes. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, to keep going, I really do adore Boimler's confused pronunciation of commercial. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, it's it's just so Ferengi. <laughs> it well, it's like... yeah, it's funny because it's like it's so Ferengi in the sense that it sounds like a Ferengi pronouncing a human word, but it's so unFerengi in the sense that commercials are everywhere on Ferenginar and Boimler doesn't know what they are. Yeah, well, they don't. I don't think they had televisions in Star Trek, Bob, in Starfleet. We don't see them ever watching TV. Yeah, it's Utopia, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, I think I did a little, like, tiny bit of research reading some article somewhere. Forgive me if I'm 100% wrong out there, but... 
There was an episode of Voyager, apparently, where Tom Paris watches television, and it's like an old school box TV with like uh, antenna or something on it. Oh, I don't, and I don't remember it, that. But if any character was going to do it, it would be Paris. Yeah. And I feel like something's mentioned in that episode about television. I, I, I don't know for sure, but it, it came well, it was in one of the articles. I swear to God, I read like so many damn articles, Bob, a week on Star Trek. It's it's ridiculous. And it does seem advanced my mind that much. It does seem, I think, from I think more from DS Nine and Voyager, if I'm remembering correctly. Although probably more Voyager and like with there's some there's episodes with like the Doctor writing a hollow novel. But it seems like hollow novels, which which is to say like uh, holodeck, like complicated holodeck narratives, have sort of replaced television as like the and movies as like the thing that comes out that people get excited about. Yeah, I I feel like in in the Star Trek universe, you know, at least during that, like you said, during the DS9 Voyager times, yeah, you're going to be on the holodeck more than anything for your entertainment. <laughs> I mean, you can't beat that. There's no way you could beat being in a completely different world. Watching it on a flat screen is not going to be as impressive. I, I don't know, Matt. I, I mean, maybe this you can just chalk this up to being early days, but with, like, how, like... I. I don't want us to get the explicit tag, but how freaking crappy the uh, like the the metaverse and the VR stuff and all this looks right now, and how like off-putting and upsetting and nauseating it is. <laughs> like I, it, it will you, get better. Will it though? I yes, I, Bob. I, it's like airplanes. If you run an airplane back in like the twenties, it was not the same. Yeah, uh, it was much better. Is now. Air, no, it's airline, not better. Airline, airline, airline travel. <laughs> airline travel has gotten straight worse since the seventies, dog. It's been worse and worse since. Yes, the 70s. Bob. Mass public transportation. Yes, it's not that great. But it's no, still, it has it's nothing still, to do with the number of people take it. It has to do with deregulation. So they cut down the <laughs> they cut down the seat sizes. They cram more people on the thing. It's. Like, like air, air travel is a terrible example because air travel peaked in terms of comfort in like the 60s or the 70s. It's miserable now. It's awful. And it's been getting consistently worse over the course of my life. Take it to somebody who's regularly flown for, what, 13, 12, yeah, 13 years now. Uh, like, I fly at least once a year, and then I flew a few times before that. It's been progressively worse. So give me, a better, give me a better example of something, Bob. No, like, nothing gets better because we live in a hell society where nothing works. <laughs> we are the opposite of Star Trek. Is, uh, uh, has, has Twitter gotten better? We're not going to get to holodecks ever. Yeah, yeah. Has Twitter gotten better, Matt? No, it hasn't. Has Google Chrome gotten better? No, it hasn't. Nothing gets better. It all gets worse. <laughs> Do your Google search functions work better now? Hell no, they don't. Yeah, I guess that's true. I'm do you like saying, do you like Facebook, Matt? Oh, would, I, wouldn't you like it better if it wasn't three quarters promoted content? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. My newsfeed has become nothing but ads. <laughs> but yeah, so okay, like, so what I you're mean, saying I, is, Bob, I, but the hollow deck, the hollow deck we're gonna get is gonna suck. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Well, I I have a two tiered argument. One is that I'm uncertain that the technology can ever get over being so off putting, but. My second, my second tier of my argument is that even if in theory it can, in the hellscape that we live in in the 21st century in on Earth, it's not going to. Yeah, it's not going to get anywhere until you no longer, until you do not have to wear a helmet to do it. That's why the hollow deck yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> if you can just walk True into that. a room and it looks that way, great. If you have to put a helmet on to make it look that way, no one's going to do it. 
<laughs> we should have we should have saved this argument for when we actually do first meet the holodeck on uh, the filmation Star Trek in a in a few episodes. <laughs> well, don't worry, Bob. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure it will uh, spark much more debate. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. What was uh, what was your next point, uh, Bob? Just to, just to settle my mind, Armin Shimmerman doesn't voice any of the Ferengi right on this episode. I don't think so. Which is yeah. Yeah, keep yeah. going on that. Yeah, this man is like single-handedly responsible for making the Ferengi like a relevant race in Star Trek because I hear him in everything that's said. Like I hear Orban Shimmerman, not a Ferengi, and the, just the the way he would alter words with his voice in the yeah, way he like yeah. made the Ferengi his own. Like in a sense, like that dude needs way more respect. Almost in a sense, he needs as much respect as Leonard Nimoy needs for Vulcans. Yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly. Or I guess you could also say Michael Dorn for Klingons. I was about to say, yeah, I was going to say Michael Dorn for Worf, yeah, because, I mean, you think Klingon, you think Worf, you think Spock, you think Vulcan, you think Spock most of the time. But Ferengi, definitely Armin Shiverman. He was, he was in the uh, he was in the DS9 episode, though, right? Oh, yeah, he was definitely in that, yes. Remember he sounded the a lower little decks, off? The, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. I guess they just didn't want to, like, overshadow Rom and Lita being here with him appearing, you know? Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure they didn't. I bet Armin Sherman really costs a little more than Rom. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> and Lita. Yeah, that, he, he also costs a little more. Well, and it, it, it has been interesting that the Quark has been, like, one of the most teased characters of new Star Trek. Like, he was, he was teased on Picard, like, he was teased, I think, in prior seasons of Lower Decks before you actually saw him in Season 3 in the DS9 episode. So, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting in that sense that he is, you know, I think, in general, New Trek kind of recognizes his importance. Yeah, he is, uh, he's one of the more, like, he's one of the characters that's come a lot further from DS9, like, like, just that show. I mean, because he also made it, did he make appearances on Voyager, too? Uh, only in the pilot, and but he was. But you're right that he is one of the few characters to appear on Next Generation, DS9, and Voyager. And Voyager, yeah, yeah. So he's yeah. branched out a little he, bit. He, he, yeah, he he is a he is a guest appearance in the pilot of Voyager, and then he has a. Uh, I think he appears on a transmission in like a season seven episode of Next Gen. All right. Well, to go back to the question of TV, I will say I would. Uh, uh, love, love, love to see the TV show Pog and Dar, Cop Landlords. That that bit made me laugh so hard. Yeah, I would totally watch that show. I don't know what channel it would air on, though. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with, like, cable TV now, Bob. Well, I mean, my initial answer is to say UPN, but oh, yeah. I don't think that's an option <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that puts you back in, like, 1999, so, <laughs> so that's why I wasn't hey, going to make a joke, because I'm like, yeah. Bob's not going to get it. <laughs> It would fit right in with Voyager, SmackDown, and yeah. Judge Greg Mathis. It would be great. Oh man! Strangely, all of those shows are still airing. <laughs> or sorry, I yeah, I would love to watch it after Judge Greg Mathis. That would be great. I could see Pog and Dor on like the TLC network or something. 
I know what TLC is. Or the History Channel. It could be one like between Pawn Stars. Oh, oh yeah, man. I don't know what the History Channel is. You can't make a joke about it because Bob. Well, the problem is, Bob, I don't know what was airing on the History Channel when you watched it at the time. It, I, there was yeah, a time when History I, Channel showed history documentaries. Now it just no, shows that, that, Pawn that's, Stars. Th that's never true. There was a time when the History Channel showed World War II documentaries. Mm. <laughs> um, Boomer's got to have something to watch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I know that the History Channel is now just, like, reality TV shows about, like, getting deals in pawn shops. Like, I, I'm aware of this. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, I could see it on that channel for some reason. It could be, like, the, the they only air it once a week, though, between that and American Pickers, which I don't know if you know what that is. Oh, but. God, yeah. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I've watched multiple episodes of that with one of my uncles. Oh, God, it's so yeah. bad. Yeah. See, I, I'm not as immune from... Uh, general pop culture as you think I'm just immune from what the kids are into Matt it's a difference <laughs> yeah, well, what what old what old boomers are into Matt I'm, I'm up on that shit hey you got it down oh man so another great line from this episode nobody's read a book in a Ferengi public library in over a millennium yeah well that's called progress <laughs> I mean Matt I think that's just called contemporary American public libraries the, the, the fact public libraries still exist, Bob, is just the weirdest thing to me. I hey know man, you disagree. Don't, don't, knock, don't <laughs> knock it. At least, at least they're there. It's still standing. <laughs> I have no idea how. Uh, yeah. Of all the yeah. things I thought wouldn't be around at this point, libraries are totally like the one thing I thought would be gone. I know you so hate it. I know, I, know, I know, Bob. I know you hate it, but I, I'm just telling you, like, I just figure that's something that. Yeah, we live in a hell society, man. Yeah. It's established. Well, everything's digitized, so you have access to it at your fingertips. People are like, I'm borrowed free shit from the library on my, on my phone. I'm like, yeah, I'm downloading it the same way. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, Matt, but when you download it from uh, the library, it's more regular, less chance of viruses, less chance of getting a, uh, a notification from your ISP. But don't you also have like a, a damn time limit on it? Well, yeah, it's a fucking library, man. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> Time limits are good. Like, it, you, you, I know you pirate tons of things that you never wind up looking at. Don't tell me you don't. I oh, know all you the do. time. Bob, I, yeah, I have a whole, so, so I have the, a whole pirate the room just in my digital yeah. library. <laughs> pirate. That's, that's someday going to get you sent to Camp Guantanamo. Oh, if I go to prison because I, I downloaded comic books, <laughs> that's the worst reason to go to prison. <laughs> what you yeah, for? You gotta, I downloaded yeah, issue number 427 of Action Comics. <laughs> like, <laughs> Four, 426 was fine, but 427 yeah. was too much. <laughs> yeah, that's what, the, uh, that's what uh, my, my IP, uh, IP service provider decided to come at yeah. me. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm having this vision of me coming to see you in prison and bringing like a jump drive up my ass so I can yeah. <laughs> iron in material because you're such an addict that you need more. <laughs> Bob, Bob, do you have the next set of issues from such and such? I'm not gonna fucking read them. I just want them there. <laughs> like I just, I, I just need to know that they're there and I don't have a time limit on them. Unlike yeah, that library, <laughs> that I can read them anytime I want to. Oh, you know where but, they do have libraries, Bob? Prisons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you'll get a new appreciation of the library system from prison, Matt. Yeah, because you have all the time you need there to do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, man. So I will say that Quark having a Starfleet-themed bar and grill is pretty funny. Very, very logical direction for his character to go. And I also deeply, deeply resent that Rom and I have similar handwriting. Oh, yeah, Bob. I cannot tell you how many meetings I have sat in at work where either a parent or a teacher will show me some, like, shitty handwriting. And my first thought that pops on my head is, like, that's as bad as Bob's was at that age. <laughs> Hey, 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 not not at that age. That's as bad as Bob's. Yeah, right now. <laughs> and I and I just want to tell the parents of like, don't worry, <laughs> your kid's gonna be okay. <laughs> just look at my friend Bob. <laughs> he's he's doing he's doing great over here, bringing a jump drive up his ass. His yeah, <laughs> he lives in Seattle. It rains there a lot, and there's liberals. <laughs> yeah. Not as many as you would think. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will say the return of the energy whip. Very nice. You'll love to see it. Yeah, I saw that. And that, like, the little pleasure center of my reptilian brain gave me this slight little shock because I still acknowledge <laughs> those early appearances of the uh, Ferengi and their whips. Indeed. Indeed. All right, that. Who is your character of the week for this episode of Lower Decks? Well, Bob, it has to be Rom because I know you hate Rom. <sighs> Uh, but I secretly think he's one of the best characters to come out of DS9. I mean, I think he I think he really pulled one over on us the whole time. I'm not going to acknowledge that. Uh, I, I'll give it to Rutherford and Tindy. It was a very good episode about their relationship. That said, I, I still struggle with it because neither of them strike me as particularly straight. And so, I, I don't know. It was, that was a little weird. But still, good episode for them. Yeah, I really didn't see them going together. I'm so saw Rutherford and Boimler being a thing. Yeah, yeah. They they were co-parenting a plant. <laughs> yeah. All right, All right let's talk about this Star Trek animated episode. Yeah, episode six, The Survivor. You want to walk us through the uh, plot of Survivor, Matt? So the Enterprise rescues tycoon Carter Winston, who's no longer what he seems, and diverts the ship into the Romulan neutral zone. Yeah, so I, to lead off, speaking of dystopias, I'm not sure what's more dystopian. The Federation still has rich magnates like Carter Winston, or they have such strict personal ID requirements, which Spock is very happy to enforce. Yeah, Spock went through the trouble of running that ID through the ringer, but like it didn't do any good. And he had a whole setup for this. Like He had to run it through the computer, and then it had to show a picture of him like in the same outfit he was in the other room. Like it's, <laughs> It was very accurate, but it still was wrong. Indeed, indeed. He uh, he still faked it. So, the, of course, the big revelation here is that Carter Winston belongs to an evil shape-shifting race of aliens called the Vendorians. And uh, when he unveils what he looks like to his ex-fiance, uh, who we will talk about in a minute, I believe uh, the line is, can you love this? So, Matt, I ask you, looking at the Vendorian design, this green floating tentacle monster that's also a shapeshifter design, can you love this? Yeah, it's pretty scary looking, but it looked just like any Hanna Barbarian alien. Like that's it has the tentacles and it floats. That's yeah, really. I, I thought it was kind of cool though. I went, you know, maybe the shape shifting angle isn't as essential, but it's like I I just kind of like the design. I I think it has been in the background of Lower Decks before, and I wouldn't mind seeing it again. You know, and maybe have a Vendorian ensign or something. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. Yeah, look, I mean there's some consistency there for sure. 
this uh, also does have one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the whole animated series, which is McCoy talking to Spock uh, when this is while Kirk is searching for the Vendorian posing as Carter Winston. And McCoy asks Spock, you said that I'm a man of curious habits. Jim's talking to a table. <laughs> Can I say McCoy's voice acting has become way better as we've gone through these episodes? Hey, man, it is only his uh, sixth episode doing voice acting, so DeForest Kelly is learning on the job, and he's doing a good job. I'm just saying it's better than the first episode. Where I'm not even sure he Hell knew yeah. what he was doing. Like, he just, I think that It's like they stuck the recorder in his face, and were like, hey, say this, and he did it. Not, <laughs> this, not, the, this not, it seems like they actually gave him the script and said, read yeah. through this, and then you're going to have to record your lines. <laughs> Yeah, unlike Jimmy Doohan, uh, who is just a natural for voice acting. <laughs> yeah, that man was like plotting out the voices and everything. He's so like, Matt, Star if- Trek's running out, I got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe my future is in Hanna-Barra cartoons for kids. I'll do the voice of any character they give me. I don't give a damn who it is. <laughs> you know? Only two lines, even better. Yeah. <laughs> So Two Matt, rides, yeah. 50 bucks, 50 bucks. <laughs> James Doohan would be like the ultimate cameo person right now. Like, <laughs> oh, hell yeah. That actually, yeah, that, that makes me sad a little bit that he didn't live to do cameo. You know he would love cameo. <laughs> oh, he would be like creative with it and shit, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it makes you sad. So uh, any thoughts on the similarities or the disanalogies between Vendorians and Changelings, Matt? All right, this episode would have been 100 times cooler if the Vendorians were actually Changelings. Like, I need someone to go back and just redraw all the Vendorians as Odo-looking dudes, and I'm good. Because that would have I mean, that would have been so awesome had they, like, met the Changelings that early on. <laughs> like, at least one of them. In a certain sense, it actually would make more sense. Because when Carter Winston slash the Vendorian is saying to Anne, like, can you love this? And it's just like, well, it's just like he's just a tentacle monster, yeah. and it just doesn't feel anything. But if he looked like Odo, and he was like, can you love, like... Can you love this? You'd be like, yeah, that is pretty. That's that's pretty messed up. He looks pretty busted. Can't handle. Yeah, the that. animation they would use would be just like a mud man. I mean, you know they yeah, would. They just yeah. go with that generic <laughs> mud man look. Yeah, so it is pretty ironic that after last week's uh, somewhat progressive portrayal of Uhura and Chapel and the female crew running the ship, in this episode we have security officer and NORAD who's perhaps the most sexist depiction of a woman in Star Trek history. Like it's, she it's, also happens yeah. to look just like my wife, <laughs> which I'm sure adds, adds a certain je ne sais quoi to the, uh, yeah, the watching yeah. experience for you. Yeah. She stuck out like a sore thumb in this episode. It was so weird. Like, I don't know why they went with this characterization, but then again, it was the seventies. So yeah, totally, yeah, it worked fine then. Well, I do have an important question to ask Matt. Does Nichelle Nichols voice your wife? No, which is even more odd. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that that does add uh, that does add like a third wrinkle to it. That not not only is it just weird after last week, and not only does she look like your wife, but it's also they're gonna have Nichelle Nichols voice a new white character, and then they're also going to introduce Imres as the Cation replacement for Uhura in this episode, which she's not gonna totally replace. Uhura, right? Like it'll alternate, but it's still just very weird choices all around. Yeah, it, it's it's odd. I, I don't know why they went in that direction. Uh, did Nichelle Nichols just not want to be Uhura? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, because it's going to be a Magil Barrett is the voice of Maress, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing it was just her not wanting to do the voice act of her work. I would. 
guess. But then she's doing. Well, other but characters. she's gonna still be around though. Like they're not getting rid of her. So yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. Know. So why did they? So why do they introduce Memoris? Well, I think in general the mandate was like, okay, we can have more alien crew members, right? Since yeah. we have, yeah, you know, we we can animate it, which that's cool. I get that, but it's just very weird just in this episode just to like have her replace Uhura and then have Uhura do somebody else. I don't know. Yeah, it's odd. So speaking of Mares, Matt, who which I'm going to continue to say like five different ways, um, do you see what I was saying a long time ago about the difference between her design as a Cation and the Kazinti design, which you've seen in Lower Decks? So I 100% understand the difference between the two cat aliens. I get it. My real problem is I need to know who wins in a fight if a Cation and a Kazinti fight each other. I, I would say that it had been pretty well established in the kind of paracanon and in the stuff about the Kazinti that's not necessarily in the Star Trek universe, that they're like big, bad uh, alien warriors. So I would generally feel like the Kazinti would win, but I will say that I feel like with uh, Dr. Tayana on Lower Decks, we've been moving more towards the Cations behaving in more cat-like ways. And so maybe that uh, makes them more competitive than I would have prior thought. But yeah, I think the original idea was it was something like a Vulcan-Romulan split and the Kazenti were the Romulans, so they would win. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So and I do remember reading up that the Kazenti were more of like a warrior race anyway, so yeah. And I think they're also generally shown portrayed as being pretty like, bigger than bulky. the yeah. locations. Yeah, bulky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of the Romulans, though, at the end here in the neutral zone, we do get to meet some animated Romulans. I do uh, love the strong green of both the Romulan uniform and the background of the ship. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, really, they went out like all out back then to ensure you could visually see the difference between the Romulans and the Vulcans. <laughs> so yeah, they made sure yeah. the color scheme was very different. No, no confusion. No yeah. confusion. <laughs> So, Matt, uh, I've said before that when Bob was a young Bob, he deeply, deeply loved the novelization of this episode. Uh, they put, would put out novelizations of animated series episodes. I think they would call them Star Trek, like, Log 1, Log 2, and so on. Um, so I had, the, I had the one with this one. I loved it a lot. Do you see why? I mean, I do. It's, it's not a bad episode. It's probably one of the better animated tales you forced me to watch at this point. Um it's got a little bit of everything, and it reminded me of Season 3's uh, DS9 episode, The Adversary. Yeah, which for those of you that don't remember, that's basically the DS9 does the thing, but with a changeling on the Defiant. Yeah, it, it, same idea of them having to hunt it down and figure out who is who is who, is who they say they are and that kind of stuff. Fun times. All right. So, Matt, who is your character of the week for Survivor? It's got to be Spock, Bob, for standing behind that protocol concerning the uh, licensing. You, you and middle management, Matt. You just love to see a middle manager following his bureaucratic rules. You, you go, Spock. <laughs> you uphold the law. Uh, I, I'll give it to Mares. I, uh, I, I like her. It's good to see her, even though it is like just very strange in the context of the progression of the series. Yeah. All right, Matt. That. Are you, are you ready for uh, Lower Decks season four, episode seven, for a few badgies more? Sure, Bob. So. We have a few badges more. While the Cerritos searches for a missing Binar ship that Badgie killed, Tindy and Boimler get sent to the Daystrom Institute to meet with evil computer prisoners, Peanut Hamper and Agamus. Did you uh, catch the Clint Eastwood reference in the title, Matt? 
Yeah, Bob. Name of the Clint Eastwood movie is for a few dollars more. Yeah, great movie. Great movie. Uh, him and Lee Van Cleef, baby. All right. So to start out with, at the beginning, we have the Drakmani. Did you remember them? They're a scavenger species. They're original to Lower Decks. I did not, Bob. And I'm having Neither. a lot of trouble. I don't know if you're having this issue, too, but I don't remember anything from the earlier seasons of Lower Decks. <laughs> maybe it's just because I only watched it once or maybe twice I, at the most. I do, but I remember it in a pretty vague way. And I That's can't my always... issue I'm having. Yeah. I think we consume too much. Maybe so. <laughs> well, and a couple, we'll have a couple more issues that kind of speak to this. I also did not remember the drama. Yeah, uh, so uh, you're, yeah. not, you're not alone on that. I did enjoy the the more junior Drachmani's line, though. It's trying to scavenge you. Yeah. <laughs> but in contrast, Matt, do you, did you remember the Binars? I do, because they, they look like the aliens from Alien Nation with their, like, their head sculpt type thing, and they're a little shorter than we are. But uh, are they the ones that like, they work in pairs, like binary, mm-hmm, and they're connected mm-hmm. to like a central computer on their home planet? Yeah, and they have a pretty memorable appearance early in Next Gen, which I think stuck with us as kids. And they they showed up in the in the paracanon in the novels a fair amount too. Um, so, kind of to this issue of forgetting, you know, I mean, a it's just kind of funny that we've seen the Drakmani probably within a year. Don't remember them. We we saw the Binars as kids, and they're indelibly stuck with us. But um, I I knew Jeffrey Combs had voiced an evil computer on the show, but I'd totally forgotten the name or the specifics of that evil computer, but he voices Agamus, um, and he was doing that standard original series thing of dominating a planet, but then Mariner and Boimler have to transport him to prison, the shuttle crashes on a moon, he tries to trick Boimler is basically the plot of the episode. Right. Yeah. And I mean, do you prefer the sort of like this long-term storytelling with Lower Decks where they go back yes. to these characters? You like it? Okay. Yes. I, I think they need to. Uh, I mean, as much as I love this show, it is like the gags are running a little thinner in season four. And they're still somewhat reluctant to really explore characters outside the Fantastic Four. So, yeah, I think continuity is good and useful storytelling at this point and especially like i do like like i i take it you did remember peanut hamper right oh yeah i remember peanut hamper yeah yeah that was last season i think well she had an episode last season but then i think she also had an episode like in season two maybe okay but like peanut hamper has been one of the better things on the show and like i i think yeah like bringing back good guest stars like peanut hamper and agamus like that's something the show needs to do yeah so, but do you feel like they are jumping the gun at all when they have the AIs like in a support group together? <laughs> jumping the gun in what sense? It's just getting a little cheesy. Uh, like, no, there's a little I mean, too. It's trying to it's t- making it a little too silly. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean, it it is, but the show is always going to be silly, and it also thematically it fits with the episode, right? Because spoilers, the revelation is that. Neither Peanut Hamper nor Agamus actually wants to be evil anymore. Yeah. So I, I feel like it kind of it gives a unity to the episode, the fact that they spend so much time with the support group. I, I also really did enjoy the line. I, I forget what the computer's name was, Tyrannus or something like that. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. what I really need to subjugate are my feelings. That was good. That was good. I, still think the, also, the, the, I think it's like the best part of this episode is if you have a 
blue light, you're good. If you have a red light, you're bad. <laughs> that was very funny. Yeah. I, I will say I almost like resented this episode a little bit because it makes this idea less possible. But I now do like want to hold because, you know, you've already kind of told the Agamus story. So you can't re- if you bring Agamus back as evil again, it's not going to be satisfying. Yeah. But if you had a if you'd had had a standalone episode that was just like an episode of Oz, but with evil computers on a prison colony, that would be hilarious. That like <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I totally watched that. They need to make it a very short trick. I, so I disagree. I want it to be played sometimes straight and at like lower decks length. Or actually, you know, <laughs> you know what? Prodigy's not going to do anything useful. Make that an episode of Prodigy. There you go. <laughs> Maybe send Hollow Janeway, even though I think she's dead now. But send Hollow Janeway to the Taste Room Institute. Have her do some hard time for impersonating Catherine Janeway. <laughs> Wait, Hollow Janeway's dead? I think she dies at the end of season one. I don't remember. It sucked. Oh, okay. I was like, I felt like that was a big piece of that show. Well, re, re, real Janeway is in the second half of this. Oh, okay. So they just so, brought an actual Janeway. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Real. It's now just going to be real Janeway. And yeah, like check yeah. a tattoo, right? Yeah. Although he's been saying some fucked up shit on Twitter, so they they might. What was that? They might. What was that chick uh, from Star Wars? Oh, Cara yeah, Dune yeah, or whatever. Yeah, the, they the might really like Amazonian looking woman. Yeah. Yeah. They they might uh, Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they might cut him out like they cut her out. He's been apparently he's been saying some pretty nasty anti-trans stuff online. Well, at least he waited twenty something years after his show aired. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really funny. It's like I don't know. It's like oh hey man, you want to make a comeback and make some money? It's like nah, I'd rather just be in my feelings about my hatred of trans people. Yeah, it's yeah. like all right, dude. <laughs> Like no one's thought of your character for a very, very long time. <laughs> well, it it has provoked uh, some interesting debates I've seen online of like, you know, was is Chakotay a bad character or is Robert Beltran just a bad actor and a bad person? And you know, I certainly maybe all three are true, maybe only a couple are true. I don't know. It's an interesting debate. I haven't watched enough Voyager to really make a, a call on that, so. Maybe if we do go through Voyager, I need to, to, to take some notes. <laughs> oh, we're not. We will never go episode by episode through Voyager, my dude. We'll, we'll, we'll hit some high points if you want at some point, but we're never yeah. going episode to episode. Uh, uh, not unless we start like making gangbusters on that Patreon, <laughs> which uh, I, I don't see coming. <laughs> um, let's see. So we'll start a Patreon of we'll start a Patreon of rewatching Voyager episodes to to, to try to. <laughs> Determine if, uh, what's the guy's name? What's Chekatay's actual name? Black Robert Beltran. If Robert Beltran was really transphobic then. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, see if there's subtle hints. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, Follow us on Patreon. It will it, we'll slowly it is, dive into this controversy. <laughs> it is interesting because I feel like a lot of trans viewers identify with Seven of Nine for like understandable yeah, oh, yeah. reasons, right? Yeah. And there's, it's given that there's no hint of this until the finale, but given that in the finale, they make such a point of just randomly throwing Chakotay and Seven together. That's, that's kind of interesting in hindsight. I just don't know how you could even like sign up to act on a Star Trek show and not be, you know, kind of more open-minded about everything. 
You would, you would hope, you would hope. I mean, I guess money gets gets involved, and that's when it's a problem. I mean, I guess you should. I guess we also have to kind of remember that we're talking about not to excuse older people being bigoted, but we are talking about people whose minds are not working as well as they used to. That sometimes, like early, you know, early signs of cognitive trouble include like difficulty processing information, abrupt hostility, and. You know, there is like a well-funded, like, you know, industry that makes millions of dollars on social media and to some extent on the right-wing news shows of like demonizing trans people. So it's not, you know, if it's not super surprising that some people do fall for that stuff. That's true. And then again, also, I mean, he hasn't done much work since then, right? I don't think so. so I think like... he had like some presence in like Latino indie movies, like. I, I I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth to say I think like my guy Alan had seen him in a couple kind of like 90s uh, like Latino indie movies right like oh here's a, you know here's a movie about gangsters here's a movie about uh, guys coming up in the 50s that sort of stuff yeah but yeah no I don't I don't think he had much success before or after Voyager and I, he was famously pretty unhappy about the way his character was handled in Voyager and you know, you one would have to say just justly so. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Well, maybe he's just maybe he's just secretly mad at seven of nine for taking the Yeah. Lives. You could also you could also <laughs> see like him like since Voyager wasn't really a beltway for success for him and since yeah. it was a kind of miserable seven year experience you could also see him kind of associating that in his mind with Star Trek's progressive values and kind of resenting both. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's regretting the decision he made. And now he's blaming yeah. it on yeah. all the... Yeah. Well... Yeah, and now, so, so now he wants to make teenagers' uh, lives hard. You know, that's very, yeah, very good. Very that's good what old people do. Yeah, yeah. All right, I guess we psychoanalyzed uh, Chicote slash Ryan Piltrum <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, so... Uh, to make a, this is going to be a weird transition point, but I'll just go ahead and do it, Matt. Um, so Matt, are you like Agamus and me that when a woman betrays you, it turns you on? Not usually, Bob. I don't, I don't usually want women to betray me, but. Okay. So, so you're not, you're not normal. Okay. I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the normal one here, Matt. You're the abnormal one. Yeah, that must be it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, since I think I already got us the explicit tag, sorry about that. It is pretty fucked up that Boimler's going to take Agamus back to prison. Yeah, I just. He's got a blue light, man. He doesn't need to go back to prison. He's yeah, got a blue light. There's nothing wrong with the dude. He's good. He's got the blue light of, of happiness, of, of good. <laughs> of, of peace and of chilling peace. with his best friend, Peanut Hamper. <laughs> it's a blue light. So, Matt, did you get Jason Ironheart from Babylon 5 vibes from Badgie at the end of this episode? Yes, I find it weird that we both had that thought <laughs> because it was coming across me and I'm like, that is just too obscure for anyone to even feel. And I'm like, then Bob's like putting in the notes and like, oh, Bob feels it too. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I think that's total, the that's total the effect. Jason Ironheart. <laughs> Babylon Five. Folks, I think that's in case you're wondering. Yeah, that's the effect of Babylon Five v DS Nine. We haven't taken away anything else from Babylon Five except for Jason Ironheart. So. Yeah, it's just we see like these beings that seem like they're, okay, they're ultimately so, good head- and great. <laughs> Bob, you there? <laughs> you there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, it's, yeah, it's like, going, it's like doing something weird with the timing. I don't know what's going on. All right, it's fine. Though. I'll cut all that out. It's fine. 
Okay. Are you there? Okay. okay let, do you want to give it a... Are you still hearing me okay? Yeah, I'm hearing you now. I think it's caught up. I think. Okay. Yes. Well, yes this I is unfortunate. Shit. This is unfortunate because the next thing I wanted to do was kind of read a memory alpha article because I think it's relevant. Yeah, go ahead. Just um, put it. Just do, put it. You, you want to read the memory? Just say, uh, you know, like, I'll just cut all this part out. I'm just trying to figure out why. It, it, like the timing is off. Like the. What if I gave you the link? Did a little pre, did a little pregame discussion of it, and then you read it. Yeah, that works. Okay, let me put it in. Sorry. So, Matt, uh, did you catch that there's weird references in not just this episode, but in multiple earlier episodes of the show to the, quote, Black Mountain? Uh, yeah, what's the Black Mountain, Bob? Well, since you asked, Matt, I give you the link to Memory Alpha. I know, and I accidentally deleted the link because <laughs> so I'm on a Mac, and I don't remember how it works. <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember how to do an undo? Is it com- no, Bob? Because there's literally extra buttons on here. There's a it's command, back. It's back. option, it's back. control. It's back. I uh, know. I'm it's going. back. I'm going. Now, Command C. There we go. Now, there's Matt, extra- it's it's perfect. It's perfectly okay to read a memory alpha article on air. It's not okay to read out the keys on a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just letting everybody know. This is why I'm struggling right now because my my computer is not the same. All right, the Black Mountain, Bob. The Black Mountain was, according to Shaxx, a spiritual battleground where the soul went after death. There they must find three faceless apparitions of their father, after which the surviving father makes them eat their heart. What? When did this happen? What is this? Well, since since you're asking. (laughs) Keep going. I'm going. Hold on. Hold on. In 2381, a resurrected Lieutenant Shax described his experience at the Black Mountain to Ensign Sam Rutherford. Later that year, when Lieutenant Commander Steve Stevens was brain dead for 10 minutes after being turned to stone by a psychic mind on Genghis IV, he said that he said that saw a koala sitting on a Black Mountain. Oh shit, we got the koala. Later still... When Lieutenant J.G. Brad Boimler briefly died after being caught in an explosion from a power relay on Corazonia, he found himself in a mysterious room where the Black Mountain was visible from the window. So I didn't remember that at all, but I guess, yeah, when Boimler was in the Black Lodge, he looks out a window at the Black Mountain. Yeah, and then when Badgie ascended, he suggested that he would check out the Black Mountain. And then, Interesting. So is this our new, like, you know... Or anything to add to Twin Peaks? Is there a Black Mountain? Is the well, Black Mountain where the fireman and that lady live? <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, so Mike McMahon uh, worked on cartoons. This says this below. He worked on cartoons Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites. Uh-huh. And apparently in both of those, they also mention the Black Mountain as being like associated with death. Okay. Well, that's But I, it, it's funny that like they... It's funny that like now that they say this, I remember all all three of these incidents more or less. I, I do, but, yeah. I remember the dude getting yeah. turned to stone. I remember, yeah. I remember yeah. when Shaxx came back from the dead. Yeah, but, but I just didn't remember the Black Mountain, uh, and you know, it just it just didn't stick until Badgie says it in this episode. Is the only time <laughs> when it really registered for me. Well, Bob. Not to ruin anything for you, but you do know that that Black Mountain looks a lot like a mountain that Paramount uses. 
Oh, yeah. Actually, I wonder if there's something going on with that, too. Like, it's a joke about the Paramount corporate logo. That's interesting. Yeah, because there was a joke in the last episode about it. Uh, when Do you Boimler... remember what it was? No, it's when Boimler is watching television, and there's a picture of the Paramount logo in the background, and it shines, and it talks about Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that, but you're right. Well, it's also interesting. I've just finished reading a series of like occult PI novels by a guy named Laird Barron, who was like influential on um, old True Detective. And he's got a like an occult PI named Isaiah Coleridge, who's like based in the in the New York State mountains. And some of the like the Black Mountain imagery also kind of reminds me of the imagery in that series. So it's just interesting. Oh, okay. Which one are you reading? The but Croning? Yeah. Uh, though the Croning is like a sort of like fairy tale retail. Um, it's like not my favorite and it's not my friend's favorite either. The Isaiah Coleridge um, series is Blood Standard, Black Mountain, and Worse Angels. Okay. And then there's, there's also a novella that came out that I'm blanking on the name of, although... The novella is kind of sad because apparently Baron got like super super sick, and he couldn't finish the fourth, uh, the fourth novel, and so he just published it as a novella. Okay. Um. So not not great news. I, he he's still alive, but I I, I don't think he's in great health, which is sad. Hmm. All right. Well, now I know about the Black Mountain, which I knew nothing about before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just. Just to transition to the end, the the panic about Gucci at the end of the episode from like Tendi Boim, uh, Boimler and Mariner really did make me laugh. I have to say. So did you catch the name though there with the Gucci and the Badgie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. I got. Is that it. hilarious? It's oh, it's very funny. It's very funny. Yeah, I use I usually hate puns, but that's so funny. That's brilliant. <laughs> All right, that. So uh, you know, I love to make you rank rank things, and I think this episode really begs that we should rank. Star Trek fathers uh, from best to worst. So yeah, give so us we your. Have very, we have very different rankings, so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Bob. And I comes when it comes to fathers from best to worst. Rutherford's the best father. Then I've got Sarek, because he's always around all the damn time. It seems like <laughs> it's not positive, but he's at least present. He's there. You know he exists. And you know that Spock's okay because he's got like a human mom. So it's like, okay. All right. Jean-Luc Picard didn't know he had a son. Yes. So he's next on the list. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I no, no. Up. You're reading my list. I'm reading my your list. list. Sorry. Hold on. Let me yeah. get back to where I... I'm sorry. Kyle Riker. Kyle Riker saved his son in the end. He but he was, a, he was a bad father, though. He was a pretty rough father. But in the end, Bob, he sacrificed his life for his kid. Got to give him that. Oh, he did. I didn't remember that part. Yeah, yeah. He took a he took a shot for Riker. Uh, Bashir, Richard okay. Bashir, Bashir. Yeah. Richard Bashir's parents meant well, Bob. No, God damn it. That's Julian <laughs> Bashir is the character. Richard Bashir is the father. Yeah, Richard Bashir meant well doing that to his kid, giving him the the. He meant well to help him. He wanted yeah, yeah, to be giving successful. him the genetic augmentation. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I don't see what's the yeah, problem yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't either. I agree with you. I agree with you. Rom, Rom, not a bad dad, not a good dad. He was there. He did support his kid. He didn't really have much interest in Rom learning to read and do stuff. But in the end, he did support Rom. 
I mean, he did support, uh, what's the kid's name? Nog. He did support Nog. So we're okay there. I no you having a, having a father that stupid is traumatic. This is where I disagree with you. <laughs> he, did, he can't help it though, Bob. He can't, he can't pick who his father is. He could have not reproduced. <laughs> Rom could not have, yeah, but Nog had no choice. Yeah, yeah. Ca- I'm not blaming got- Nog. I'm blaming. I'm I'm sympathizing with Nog for the trauma of having such a stupid <laughs> father. All right, Bob. Ducat. Ducat had a lot of kids, right? But we're most I, mostly we see him with his uh, half Bajoran daughter Tora Zial. And as I recall, maybe I'm forgetting something messed up, but as I recall, Ducat was a good father to Torazil. Yeah, to her, but I thought he had like a bunch of other kids he wouldn't care for. Yeah, but I mean, we don't, we never saw him <laughs> with those, so we can't go off of those. The only reason he cared about that other kid was because of political reasons. That's the only reason he like really cared about that kid. I mean, that's hinted, but we never see it. <laughs> like, he's a good father. <laughs> so that's why I'm putting Ducat there. But then, Bob, you got... Look, Matt, I'm just saying Ducat did nothing wrong, okay? Yeah, okay, I, I, agree, I agree with that. All right, Picard, Bob. <laughs> Picard. Didn't know he had a kid. <laughs> so, but how that's was why he he's next. He, how was he once he figured out he had those kids, Matt? He he made a number... He started a relationship with that kid. That he was the whole season of Picard, Picard season three. Well, and there was also that whole one in season seven where he had a son, too, that wasn't Oh, good. shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> Although I think that turned out to not actually be his son, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah it turns out Picard just didn't know, and I can't. Help, I, I get that; it's all right. That's why he's not. Matt, on the, Matt identifies with that. He he's not high on the list. He's not on the bottom of the list. He just didn't know. All right, now Bob Jim Kirk knew he had a son, right? Well, in the movies, it's ambiguous, but I mean that is one thing that Strange New Worlds does that doesn't do his character any favors. Is to, it makes it clear that he did in fact know exactly. So that's that's bad fathering. He knew he had a kid, and he didn't do anything. All right. Uh, Kurt Worf is the worst. He had a son and then just literally forgets he has a kid and never mentions the kid again. So he just abandons the kid. That's bad. Yeah. I, I'm going to agree with you that Worf would be the worst if it were not for Rom being so stupid. So my, to go my <laughs> list, bottom to top, Rom is the bottom, then Worf. I still feel like Kyle Riker was a very bad father, but I don't remember that episode very well. I don't remember yeah, this. Okay, but I, I, if Kyle Riker had not sacrificed himself for his son, then I would be different. But yeah, it's he's way further up because he he, he took his own life for his kid. Did he? Did he? I don't. He didn't die in that episode, though, did he? I thought he died from a disruptor shot or something like that. All right, we're we're gonna have to fact check this right quick. Yeah. I thought they just did that stupid American Gladiator sport together, and that was the climax. Maybe. No, just Kyle and his son were reunited in 2365 when Will, now first officer on the Enterprise D, was offered uh, command of the Ares, and Kyle came aboard to brief Will on the Ares and its current mission. Though Will ultimately turned down command of the Ares, he and Kyle took the opportunity to finally settle their differences. Yeah, they did. And then it says... Yeah, no, nothing, because then he... He, they just mention him in the episode where he gets another son because of the transporter accident. They don't. He's not. He's never seen again. Where, where is it? Why reading that he took a he took a 
disruptor. That's in blast. the para, maybe in the para cannon. Para cannon stuff. Yeah, the, I was. I mean, I looked it up. That's why I didn't. And the actor died March sixth of two thousand twenty-two. That's sad. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I I didn't read that para cannon, and it means nothing to me. All right, so I'm going to stick with Kyle Riker being just above Worf. All right. Uh, I'll put Jim Kirk above Kyle Riker. Uh, I'll put Picard above Jim Kirk. Uh, Actually, I'd had Richard Bashir lower, but you convinced me that he did nothing wrong, so I moved him up above (laughs) Picard. Um, Sarek, not a great father, but uh, similarly like, like Richard Bashir, only wanted what was best for his kids, pushed him to be the best, and unlike Richard Bashir, did not have to serve a prison sentence. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put him above Richard Bashir. Um, I'll put Scran G. Ducat above Sarek, because I think he was a great father, and then I'll put uh, <laughs> Rutherford above Ducat. Ducat, you have no clue about Ducat. You have no idea. Yes, I, I have a great clue about Ducat <laughs> because I see him father Toro Zial in multiple episodes of Star Trek DS9. And but she a was a political pawn. She was a part of it. Like it was. was did did he, he was ever? Did it. he ever treat her as a political pawn? No. But <laughs> he lo- he loved her and he welcomed her, despite the fact that all of Cardassian society was against her. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You, we're not going to agree on this. I think Dakot was not a good father. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, we're not going like, to agree for some Cardassian kids. I think he had hundreds of like Cardassian Bajoran kids. I, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there's some great, terrible novel about what a bad father he is to his Cardassian children. But unlike you, Matt, I haven't read that one, and I haven't read the. I also haven't read the memory beta summary of that time yeah. Kyle Riker threw himself in front of a disruptive blast <laughs> for for uh, for Will. All right, and also right. I would expect someone who puts Rom in the middle. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't you value your rankings stupid, of Dakota. Bob. He was Rom was born dumb. But yes, you based can, you on the Lower fix, Decks episode, can, though, Rom was kind of smart because... Matt, I mean, you can fix stupid. It's called a vasectomy. <laughs> Nog becomes the... Doesn't Nog become the first Ferengi to join Starfleet? No thanks to Rom! Well, that's his dad. He had to be born. <laughs> Clear, Quark did more to father that boy than yeah. Rom ever did. Quark gave him cunning, guile, cleverness. What did Rom give him? A good heart. Oh, shove your good heart up your ass, Rom. I don't care. <laughs> oh man, what well, Rom? Uh, actually, Rom was supportive of Nog going into Starfleet. Yes, and Quark wasn't. But the resistance from Quark made made Nog a better officer. Damn it. Okay. You know what? If I were if I were to rank Quark as Nog's father, I'd put him pretty high on the list. Maybe higher. Would you, than would you put him above that. Rom? <laughs> Yes, you would. obviously, because Ron was at the bottom of the list. Oh man! All right, Bob. So let's I, talk. Right, I can I can think of one character we can both agree who belongs even lower, um, lower than Worf and Rom, Matt. Okay, that's a good. that's a George Kirk as played by I believe Chris Hemsworth. Yes, he gets killed, and if a father loves their kid, they shouldn't get killed. <laughs> All right, Bob. Let's 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 transition back into our characters of the week for lowest yeah, lower who, decks episode. Who who is your lower deck character of the week, Matt? I'm gonna go with Peanut Hamper, Bob. I liked her in the last episode that she was in, and apparently, I guess she was in a season two episode. I completely forgot, but 
Yeah, yeah, because she abandons them in, I think, the season two finale. Yes. And then she shows up in the Peanut Hamper Does Avatar episode, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Peanut Hamper is a great choice. I went with Agamus or Ags, as Peanut Hamper calls him, but it was nice to see both. Uh, I'm glad they get a somewhat happy ending, although I'm also kind of sad that it seems like probably this is like writing both of them off the show, more or less, you know? Yeah, I don't know if they're coming back or not. But yeah, it doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like it. All right, Matt. It's been a long road getting from there to here, but are you ready to do the plot summary of episode seven of the filmation track that is Infinite Vulcan? That is correct, Bob, and I will begin that by saying that on the planet Phylus, the crew encounters an advanced plant race enthralled to the gigantic clone of a eugenics war refugee, Dr. Stravros Caliculus V, who kidnaps and embiggens Spock, desiring his hypergenetics. Yeah, so this is the episode that poor Walter Coeing had to write instead of being on the show. Kind of ironic that he takes the opportunity to make his boy Sulu so prominent in this episode. Yeah, Sulu gets the final word here, and he has like an action scene. Like the really only animated fight action scene in this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we get to see uh, Sulu do some judo. Um, yeah. So... Matt, this uh, episode is also the source of two very famous memes. One is McCoy standing over Sulu saying that his dick fell off because a woman wrote words on the internet. (laughs) And the other is Kirk choking the Philosian plant person, Agmar, not to be confused with Agamus from last episode. What do you prefer, Kirk choking Agamar or Sulu's dick having fallen off? Definitely Kirk choking Agmar. There's just something funny about him choking a plant. Yeah, although, actually, in the actual image, it doesn't lo- so much look like he's choking him. It just looks like he's very intently grabbing him by the shoulders to tell him something vital. That's how you choke plants, Bob. Yeah, you, 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 you choke their shoulders. plant shoulders, not their plant necks. Yes. Yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> um, that's a great image. I'm going to still go with Sulu's dick having fallen off because it makes me laugh every time. But both are great memes. So... Matt, I remembered that there were Philosians who are in the background of Lower Decks, the plant people, but I had totally forgotten that in season one, Mariner tries to set Boimler up with one. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. I need to go back and rewatch the first season of Lower Decks. We could always do coverage of it. <laughs> yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. Maybe the writer's strike will force us to, now that it's coming to an end. Well, but the actor's strike, it looks like they've just suspended talks. Like, oh, so. Oh, never yeah. mind then. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably yeah. go into that then if we need to. Because... Yeah, yeah. Solidarity to the actors. I hope they get a good deal. Um, I do love in this episode that we have uh, tentacle dragons uh, that are actually plants and that are called swoopers. It's just delightful madness. Yeah, they look like the typical flying bad guys in like an old school Nintendo video game. Um, I have a yeah, question, Bob. When the, when the swoopers came down at one point, did the screen go completely dark for you? Like they were saying it was too dark to see them? I don't think so. Okay, I, I don't know what so. I was thinking. I, I, I When I was filling in the notes, because I usually fill in the notes after I watch the show, and for some reason I remember this, and I'm going to go back and watch it again today, but it, it, I feel like they were trying to avoid animation by just saying it was too dark to see anything. <laughs> but... I don't, but I don't know because they show a lot of the swoopers later, though. Yeah, they do. They show the like little purple, like flying creature yeah. things. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, as I've confessed to our listeners before, I, I take 
my notes while I watch the show. So I'm not always watching the screen as intensely as I should, especially for filmation Star Trek where it's pretty rough sometimes. And me, folks, I watch the show, and then it may be days later before I go and fill in the notes, so I just have to start making up shit. Yeah, you just you just make up lies about dark screens <laughs> and, and Rom being a good father. You just make up Rom lies. Rom was a damn good father. That is not a lie. Now, the black screen thing, that may have been an issue with me, but that's good. <laughs> Matt, may, maybe, Matt, maybe you just got a glimpse of the Black Mountain. Yeah, or maybe the TV just turned off and I didn't realize it had to turn back on. All, all, all distinct possibilities, my dude. Yeah, all there are lots of options here. I had totally forgotten that this wacky episode, which I did remember being a wacky episode with Giant Spock, but I had totally forgotten that it tied in so tightly to Khan. And, you know, really this episode was the secret to making Picard Season 2 not suck. They just needed a giant clone of Picard in that season. Well, yeah, I mean, when they started mentioning the eugenics war, I was like, damn, this is getting serious. I like trying really hard to make this one relevant, and it, well, and, and you got to give it was. to Walter Coing, man. He he's trying to do a lot of world building in this script. Uh, you know, they're reaffirming the idic thing, the infinite diversity and infinite mm-hmm. combinations, which was introduced on the original series, but they're reaffirming it here. Uh, they have a really interesting line where, like, they say that humanism is the official ideology of the Federation. That Doctor Colvecuus uh, or Colliculus is banished for being anti-humanist. And then uh, they also, like, hint at the Kazinti, right? We still haven't seen them yet. We're going to see them uh, much later in this season. But it's just wild that they're hinting at the Kazinti before they show up. Yeah, I, I just this, this, this is an interesting... Like, I feel like, were they trying to do some long-term, sto- long-term storytelling with this series? or Not really. I feel like they probably just knew they had the rights, and so... Threw it use them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, through the and well, and I'm sure you don't have to pay for the you don't probably don't have to pay for the mention. Just probably have to pay for the thing itself, you know. So it's not extra money, right? Um, also, so this episode ends on a really weird joke where uh, Kurt talks about really wanting to learn the uh, judo throw that Sulu used in hand hand combat. And then Sulu says something to the effect of it, you have to be inscrutable in order to do it. And then Kirk replies, Sulu, you're the most scrutable man I know. Uh, Matt, did you did you get what was going on in that joke? No, I'm not going to lie, Bob. I had to look up the word scrutable because it's not a word I use very often. <laughs> yeah. It apparently means capable of being understood by careful study or investigation. And so do you know what inscrutable means, Matt? I'm assuming it means not being capable or understood yeah it means mysterious or difficult to understand or difficult to decipher motives of okay um and so do you do you know what racial stereotype that term inscrutable is often used to further probably the japanese uh east asians in general east asians Asians. in general i would say yeah like that's a that's a kind of famously loaded term to talk about i mean you can use inscrutable in other contexts, but it's a famously like loaded racial term to talk about East Asians. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's supposed to be like an anti-racist joke, but it just kind of lands a little oddly. It doesn't land right at all, especially when you have to go look the word up, because you can tell it's not a word that, like, it's, it's for an animated series that's coming on a children's cartoon on a Saturday morning, I mean, it just doesn't spit. <laughs> well, I mean... But Matt, you say you, something like you know, you know, if you would have said something, wow, you really threw him for a loop. That would have been funnier, like ha ha ha, because he threw him. Not you know, you're the most yeah. scrutable man I know, or an inscrutable. <laughs> like, well, I mean, 
mean, but. hey, it's in, it's important to teach the kids not to be racist against East Asians and B. But Bob, I doesn't would... it use it? Doesn't it use a particularly like? Isn't that isn't saying an, or isn't that a stereotype though? Saying that they're scrutable. Yeah, they're but it's reje- it's rejecting the stereotype. Oh, it's backwards. Okay, so they're in, so inscrutable is the bad. Yeah, thing. And yeah. They're saying he's scrutable. Like, e- e- so he's East, okay. East Asians are stereotypically held to be mysterious, emotionally reserved, hard to hard to know what they're thinking. They're held to be quote, okay. That's but he, the, but that's he's the saying that Sulu is definitely scrutable. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. So he he's not like that. He's yes, not your stereotypical yes. He's Asian defeating man. the stereotype. And I would also say, just to the larger point, um, Matt, when you write a show for children, the result is prodigy. Much better to write a, write a cartoon for adults and then just let the, the children kind of nod along confusedly as it goes. I agree, Bob. That's what I did with it, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, son. Damn. All right. All right, Matt. So who was uh, your character of the week for this filmation? Uh so Bob, my character of the episode for this filmation episode is McCoy, and it's for using his great grandfather's pesticide recipe to straight up murder an endangered plant species. <laughs> yeah, way to go! McCoy. All right, Matt. So your uh, your your overall picks for well, I, so your picks for this week have been you've had McCoy, you've had Peanut Hamper, you had Rom, and then. Who did you have for the infinite for the survivor? Uh, Spock. Spock. Spock yeah. He really likes Spock's rule following. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So of those four, who's your overall <laughs> between uh, <laughs> between uh, I, between McCoy, between Rom, between uh, Spock, and between uh, who was the other one? Peanut Hamper. <laughs> These are my options. <laughs> These are your options. Well, I know that I know that I, I could pick Rom because I know you hate Rom, but that would be too uh, that's, easy. That's, so that's violence. That's violence. Yeah, McCoy was cool with his with his like secret recipe, but it was kind of cheesy. Uh, I did like Spock's rule be, following. It Peanut would be pretty Hamper surprising to make McCoy like to give it to a filmation character. That would be pretty surprising. Yeah, why well, not just give it to McCoy? Let's do that. We'll give it to McCoy. I, I okay. think his his brilliant idea for how to wipe out this uh, an entire species of. This entire alien race was just uh, scary. It's like your phasers right. don't work, so we'll ha- we'll use pesticide guns. <laughs> just going straight to the chemical warfare. It's yeah, like, it's well, like not. It's like jump not, right in it's there. Not, it's not good. Not good. I'm pretty sure that would not be okay on most. Like uh, if that was like live action Trek, it yeah, would look yeah. way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so my options are uh, the the couple that is Rutherford and Tendi, or Mares, or Agamar, or. Uh, Agamus. Uh, I'll go uh, just to keep the humor of uh, going with filmation ones going. I'll go Agamar. I, I really do like ch- Kirk choking Agamar. Well, damn. It looks like we liked that last episode. We, we, yeah, we, we appreciate it. Wait, wait, way to go, Walter Cohen. Way to write a good episode yeah. of Star Trek, even though they won't let you back on the show, poor guy. Yeah. And your best character was on Babylon 5, so. <laughs> I wonder if it was something like the, uh, you know, if something had happened in between U.S. Soviet relations between 1969 and 1973, kind of like the you know the Ukraine war now, and they're just like, no, no Russians anywhere. <laughs> Jeez, poor Walter Cohen. Liber- 
liberals do be hating Russians almost yeah. as much as they hate Palestinians. And uh, on that note, this has been uh, uh, Uncanny Tracks covering Star Trek Filmation and Star Trek Lower Decks. I am Bob in Cascadia expressing the anti-liberal opinions. That is Matt uh, in the Southland uh, being studiously neutral and uncomfortable with Bob's aggressivity. And uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, folks.